G'day, humans. Few things in this world make people more uncomfortable than being made fun of. Nobody likes having the fun poked out of them, especially people who are powerful, I find, because the powerful sought to be powerful because they wanted to feel important and be respected by other people and be noticed. The last thing they want is for someone to bring them down a peg and point out that the emperor's wearing no clothes. Well, that's what I've spent much of my life trying to do, and it's what our guest today has devoted his to doing much better and with much more of a laser satirical focus than I. Mark Humphreys is well known to Australian audiences for his satirical sketches on the country's flagship current affairs program. Uh, He owns the sort of final two minutes of the week in which he takes a swipe at politicians. It's the sort of thing that might sound a little bit something like this. In recent months, leaders at both a federal and a state level have been accused of passing the buck. To discuss accountability in politics, I'm joined now by the Federal Minister for the Buck. As Minister for the Buck, does the buck stop with you? That's actually a common misconception. We are in a public health emergency, which means that buck responsibility actually transfers to the states. So you're passing the buck onto state governments? Well, for me to pass the buck on, I'd have to be in possession of the buck, which I'm clearly not, because the buck doesn't stop with me. Then where has the buck stopped? At the state border. The buck can't leave unless it is granted an exemption, which it won't be since the buck won't stop with me. That is Mark Humphreys on uh, the 7.30 report recently. It's a great tradition of Australian comedy to that, that sort of rapid-fire political satire. He stands in the, in the he walks in the footsteps of John Clark and Brian Dore, who previously held that, uh, that piece of television real estate. And he's a fascinating young guy. He is young. He's even younger than me. And I think of myself as being a wee babe in the woods uh, with a fascinating life story and fascinating insights into what social media and the political climate and the pace of news is doing to our brains. I hope that you enjoy this uncomfortable conversation as much as I enjoyed having it with the one and only Mark Humphreys. So the relationship between siblings and especially brothers has always <laughs> fascinated me since I used to go to tennis camps when I was like eight or something. And there were these two boys, um, I guess maybe I won't, I won't say their surnames. Um, no. <laughs> but these two boys. <laughs> you want to insure me for defamation. <laughs> these two boys, they were just, they had a reputation. They right. were, they were, they were just. They were, you know, they were the first kids you'd come across who swore. You know? Were these the identical twins who killed everybody? Or <laughs> no, was that a, am I not, thinking of a bad telly brothers, movie? No. Okay. Right. No. So this is, anyway, so these two boys, um, yeah, okay, I'll say their first names. Okay. <laughs> but one of the first names is a definite giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> Just make it up. <laughs> okay. It was Jason and Blason. Uh, all right, Jason and Blason. Let's go with this. So Jason and Blason, they were rough, okay? And yeah. I, you know, I... <laughs> grew up in Crow's Nest, Sydney, northern suburbs. Just very polite boy. Yes. And these kids were rough. For non-Sydney siders, this is a very effete... Uh, <laughs> That's it. It's a, a well, nice... Pros- prosperous, nice Nice, nice, nice area. Yeah. Anyway, these kids were rough. And uh, so... But they were, yeah, one of them was older. Let's say Jason was older and Blason mm. was was younger. No way you're keeping track of which one's which. <laughs> no. I'm making notes. Hang on. Okay. So anyway, and what was fascinating is the way that Jason would talk down to Blason all the time. He would always just go, oh, Blason, you're so fat. Oh, you're so fat. And we'd always just, it would just rip into him. He was so cruel to his brother. I think they're going to recognize themselves just from the impersonation. <laughs> That's right. And 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 he would, he would just rip into his younger brother 
But as soon as some other kid would go, oh, yeah, 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 Blason, you, you're really fat. Jason would go, hey, that's my brother you're yeah, talking about. Right. And I, was, I thought, wow, that's interesting. Uh, well, well, that's true of all families, nations, faiths, right. any, any club, sure. right? You, we can criticize sure. it, but right, you're not allowed to criticize us. Yeah. Like Aussies will be as self-deprecating about Australia and self-critical yes. as, as you could possibly be. Mm. But the moment... A non-Australian says oh. anything negative about Australia. Why don't you bloody go back to well, you can go back to your bloody country then? Well, I mean, I just I did talking pictures the other day with Mike Bowers, and there was a, Scott Morrison was in New Zealand. There was a, a cartoon, a New Zealand cartoonist had made fun of our prime minister. Our and prime minister. And suddenly I was uh, our little, scoma. That's it. I was suddenly a little offended. Yeah, that's a, that's a, of hey, course. Hey, exactly. <laughs> I spend all my life doing nothing but lampooning him. That's it. Professionally, I leave Jacinda but, alone. I let right. you have her. Okay. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, so we were talking earlier about Norm Macdonald mm. uh, because you were saying that you'd seen a vi- uh, video on the on the electronic uh, interwebs the electronic and so you... of me mm. in conversation with the great Norm. That's it. Would have been from Half Post Live. Yes. You were saying, how did I book him? Which yeah. is very sweet of you to ask. <laughs> to assume that you had <laughs> some kind that of I had any influence. control or influence <laughs> over anything. Uh, no, when Half Post Live w- was created in 2012, there was a huge amount of dot com money for things like this. And mm-hmm. the Half Post brand was ascendant. And the Half Post website was the most read online news website in the world. Uh, and uh, online only. I mean, not sure BBC sure. or something was more. But um, and so when they said that they wanted to throw their hat in the ring and do 12 hours a day of video content, it went from, Gosh. yeah, it went from 10 to 10 with the final four hours being done out of an LA studios mm-hmm. because of the time difference. And so we were hosting like four to six, 20 to 30 minute shows every single day. Oh and so the bookers, so they had an army. So they had a lot of money, and they had a, they had the they book they hired the best bookers who knew everybody, so they could get anyone. And it was also the cool place to to come if you were a celebrity. Like uh, you could do you could do the morning shows, you could do Letterman, who might give you eight minutes. But on Half Post, you got yeah, half an hour. It looked very relaxed, and it was live. And comfortable. Yeah. yeah, so you weren't likely to be taken out of context. Yes. Although, of course, we tried our best. <laughs> <laughs> so people like Norm just came through. There was a period where the, where people of that caliber were going were coming through quite regularly. And for some reason, I think the clip of me and Norm survived the various takedowns of all of the copyright intellectual property disputes that were leveled against the HuffPost material, which you can't find now because right. the, the whole place got bought by America's largest telecommunications company. And uh, we all know what a commitment to the creative arts <laughs> <laughs> executives at telecommunication companies have so they did not look kindly on the cost of this enterprise and did not believe the uh the sunny rosy pictures for when it was going to reach profitability sure. in the 2050s <laughs> presumably and they took everything down but and norm now they survived not norm survived somehow yeah. so there you have it but yeah. that was a great uh great time and a great honor was he one of the or you know was he one of the gets that you were really thrilled about was he someone you were already a fan of yes absolutely i mean i grew i remember when i was a little kid i would tape letterman oh wow on a vcr on a vhs Mm. uh and i would watch it back in the morning and create mixtapes of highlight reels of people like norm fantastic and he was such it was yeah he was just brilliant that's great i used to tape um McAuliffe tonight when Sean McAuliffe had a 
a Channel Nine show for one year. Mm. Um, and yeah, this is an Australian comedian was, yeah. who now has a satirical show, but for a while had a talk show. And, yeah, well, you know, the, I think the story is that he might be like a sort of a John Stewart for American listeners. But at the ABC, he had the McAuliffe program, which was essentially, which is quite similar to Mattel, and that's sort of largely a sketch program. But when he when Channel Nine posted him, apparently they said, uh, yeah, so it's a you know, so it'll be a variety show, so you can you know you can do your sketches and what have you, and uh, and obviously you know you'll do some interviews, but obviously you've done some interviews on uh, on your previous program. And Sean was like, "Yeah, but didn't you notice they were all played played by Wayne Hope? Like, they're all, <laughs> they're all, scripted, they're all sketches. scripted sketches. Yeah. So you know, suddenly <laughs> Sean's thrown in having to interview people, and it was so funny. Like his his whole approach to interviews, like, was clearly just comedy first. Like, yeah, we'll get to whatever you're selling and whatever your anecdotes are, but just like, how can how can we make something happen here? And I think sort of you know one of the iconic moments for him was." He had Danny Minogue on. I think it might have even been the first episode. And why? And so Danny's got to sing her song. Obviously, this is Kylie Minogue's sister. Is, right, sorry, I'm not giving any context. Of, you got to remember half she's, our listeners are in yeah, America. She's Blayson's sister. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> anyway. Jason, Danny, Kylie. So Danny Minogue is performing her new song, title unknown. And at a certain point during the song, they cut from Danny to Sean watching Enough Rope with Andrew Denton. <laughs> Watching I, another I watch competitor's another. <laughs> interview show on That's a television. Oh, like, just commitment great. to comedy. Just yes. total commitment to comedy. And I think my understanding is, of course, that then became an issue. And Danny's people didn't That's like it. that. Don't do that. No. <laughs> I, rem- I mean, that was what I loved about Letterman as well. I don't know yeah. if in the early days of his CBS show you were uh, cognizant or uh, alive. But <laughs> <laughs> in the late 90s, he, would, he, ha- he was so acerbic towards some guests. I mean, oh, I yeah. Just, I just remember little things like there was a a supermodel, a South American supermodel who was on the show who was just giving one word answers to everything. Yes. And he was like, so what are you, what are you doing in your spare time? And she goes, oh, I, I, I don't know. I, uh, I like to eat. And uh, he just lets the pause die and lets the audience start to titter as uh, any picks up a, a pen and a piece of paper and starts taking notes. And he says, so uh, in addition to being a biological necessity, eating is a hobby for you. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. No, I think I've uh, seen him say in numerous interviews that he just hated having to interview, yeah, the newest, you know, yeah. starlet. Or but he didn't hide or, that, which, yeah. is what mm-hmm. was, which is what was nice. So many of them try to make it seem like they're having fun. Yes. You know, yeah. Fallon always has to be having fun with yes. everybody. It's yeah. insufferable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let him in lent into the disdain. Totally. Totally. How, so how did you get into this line of work, young man? Um, <laughs> uh, how did I get into this? Um, in fact, how, why don't you describe your line of work? Oh, people? sure. How do you sure. conceive of it? Yes. Okay. Well, so I, at the moment I do fortnightly satirical sketches for abc's 730 program which is a current affairs news and current affairs the program. flagship the flagship current, current affairs, affairs excuse me program That's it. in australia yes and it's like doing it for 60 minutes yeah. if you're like australia's andy rooney there we, wow there's a reference a hundred years young and um yeah so once a fortnight they allow me to soil that program with whatever i want to do <laughs> And it's a program that has a history of, in the past, it, you know, John Clark and Brian Dore had a satirical segment there um, for many, many years. and uh, They're the ones who did, some Americans will even know the classic sketch the about boat, the, front, the front of the, the boat, front of the boat fell, fell off. off. Yeah. 
Senator Collins, thanks for coming in. It's a great pleasure, thank you. This ship that was involved in the incident off Western Australia this week... Yeah, the one the front if... fell off? Yeah. Yeah, that's not very typical. I'd like to make that point. Well, how is it untypical? Well, there are a lot of these ships going around the world all the time and very seldom does anything like this happen. I just don't want people thinking that tankers aren't safe. Was this tanker safe? Well, I was thinking more about the other ones. The ones that are safe? Yeah, the ones the front doesn't fall off. Well, if this wasn't safe, why did it have 80,000 tonnes of oil on it? Well, I'm not saying it wasn't safe. It's just perhaps not quite as safe as some of the other ones. Why? Well, some of them are built so the front doesn't fall off at all. Well, wasn't this built so the front wouldn't fall off? Well, obviously not. How do you know? Well, because the front fell off and 20,000 tonnes of crude oil spilled into the sea caught fire. It's a bit of a giveaway. I'd just like to make the point that that is not normal. Well, what sort of standards are these uh, oil tankers built to? Oh, very rigorous maritime engineering standards. What sort of thing? Well, the front's not supposed to fall off for a start. And what other things? Well, there are uh, regulations governing the uh, materials that they can be made of. What materials? Well, cardboard's out. And? No cardboard derivatives. Like paper? No paper. No string, no sellotape. Rubber? No, rubber's out. Um, they've got to have a steering wheel. There's a minimum crew requirement. What's the minimum crew? Oh, one, I suppose. So the allegations that they're just designed to carry as much oil as possible uh, oh, and all the consequences, I mean, that's ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. These are very, very strong vessels. So what happened in this case? Well, the front fell off in this case by all means, but it's very unusual. But Senator Collins, why did the front book fall off? Well, a wave hit it. A wave hit it? A wave hit the ship. Is that unusual? Oh, yeah. At sea chance in a million. So what do you do to protect the environment in cases well, like this? the though? ship was towed outside the environment. Into another environment? No, no, no. It's been towed beyond the environment. It's yes, not in the environment. A... No, but from one environment to another environment. No, it's beyond the environment. It's not in an environment. It well, has it been be towed somewhere. beyond the environment. Well, what's out there? Nothing's out there. Well, there must be something there out there. There is nothing out there. All there is is sea and birds and fish. And? And 20,000 tonnes of crude oil. And what else? And a fire. And anything else? And the part of the ship that the front fell off. But there's nothing else out there. Senator Collins, thanks it's for joining us. a complete void. Yeah, we're out of time. The environment's perfectly safe. We're out of time? Uh, yeah. Can you book me a cab? But didn't you come in a Commonwealth car? Yes, I did. But... What happened? Well, the front fell off. Um, so that's their sketch. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's what I do now. So I've been doing some version of political satire for, oh gosh, about nine years now. And, uh, and have been you know, quite good at it for maybe one or two. You've, I, think uh, you've, I think you're very good at it. And the, uh, But the uh, it's a funny thing because I can I could tell, I could hear as, I was, as you were trying to articulate what your job is, <laughs> the difficulty with which people such as us have to tr explain what it is we do. Because yeah. you're like, well, at the moment, <laughs> there's this one show that does this thing, mm. but like what do you write on the customs form when it asks it, what your op occupation exactly, is? Exactly, yes. Um, yeah, so I think at the moment I tend to write writer um because i i've got a book out uh, you know i've got a mm. book coming out this month so i can sort of, i have written you know other things and so um you know i think primarily that's what i enjoy doing and i sort of perform out of necessity uh, <laughs> it's really a budget th thing it's not that i'm you know deliberately imposing myself on audiences <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just... it is interesting that and also writer has more cachet Yes, I think so. You know, clown. What are you going to say? No, clown. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I uh, I once had. A, I think I might have just told this on the on the podcast. So I beg uh, I beg listeners to be patient with me. But Mark may not have heard it. Uh, I when I had a visa to go into the states, I had an O one visa, which is uh, technically called an extraordinary talent. Visa. Ah, yes. It's, it's extraordinary talent. It's for na foreign nationals. You know, it's the it's the Russell Crowe visa or mm. the Kate Blanchett visa uh, for sports people, entertainers, and scientists. Uh, who are coming in to do a particular job. And so every time I would come in, it's a visa class that they don't see a lot of at the airport. <laughs> and so you'd always get interesting questions or a raised eyebrow from the the dumpling of a man at the customs immigration when you're getting off the plane. 
in the States. And one time one of them looks at the little O one and he looks up at me and goes, extraordinary talent, huh? <laughs> and we just look at each other and he goes, why you juggle? Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. Have you ever had a scary time going through customs? Have you ever had a moment where you're oh, like, I'm not sure I'm very much this? so. Many, yeah. many times. Because oh, really? I, yeah, weirdly, I made the decision to go to Egypt right during the revolution. Oh, right. And <laughs> for a holiday. <clears throat> it was not exactly a ho- I'm it's a long story. I'm like a travel hacker who uses like fr- tricks out the frequent flyer programs of airlines. Suddenly suddenly flights were really cheap and all these hotel rooms were available. I don't know why. I didn't, I didn't bother to look into it. <laughs> what actually happened was you can buy round the world airfares for a fixed price uh, which give you a, like up to 20 flights around the world and there are slightly arcane rules about where you can go but you can basically go all the way around the world for a single flat fare and the business class versions of these airfares are usually something in the range of like ten thousand dollars or something so they're quite expensive but comparatively not that expensive when you think about all of the constituent flights given how expensive flying in the nose of the plane is Uh, i was doing a lot of domestic flying in the states and in the states not so much anymore, but five or 10 years ago, having top tier status was really valuable because they give unlimited domestic upgrades to people who, who are like platinum sure. you know, status. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to maintain my status, which you have to get by flying 100,000 miles in a year. So I thought <laughs> it'd be great if I could, and you get a whole bunch of the bonus status credit things <laughs> if, you're, if you're at the front of the plane. If you're in business class or first class, you'd never get there in economy. But if you can fly around the world, just one around, once around the world, if you kind of make it work so that you're going on really long, obscure <laughs> journeys. I feel like you've built your entire life about just maintaining status. <laughs> I have. <laughs> I have. It was all just about ma- making sure that I never fell below <laughs> the status where you get the lounge access. No. At least. Oh. So anyway, uh, I had this whole thing mapped out. Like if I go to, to if I use one of the domestic trips to go to Alaska, uh, then that's a long way. So then I'll get my status. So I had it all mapped out. I was like, now I just have to find a jurisdiction in the world where the where the round the world airfare is priced disproportionately cheaply. In other words, somewhere where the currency has just collapsed. So the, so I can like parlay the international currency arbitrage in my favor. (laughs) So Cairo, the Egyptian pound had fallen through the floor. I was like, this is what I'll do. I'll just use some miles to go to Cairo and I'll start the trip there buying my ingenious round the world business class flight from Cairo. <laughs> and <laughs> so I went there. I spent a night in Cairo. I almost got kidnapped by Islamist in Tahrir Square. Seriously, it was one of the most Jeez. frightening experiences of my life. This is, this is already a better answer than I was anticipating. <laughs> 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 I got rescued by a young uh, bilingual student who translated uh, between me and the Islamists who were not letting me leave the throng in the square. There were military aircraft flying overhead with the Egyptian like colors being sprayed out the back. But that was just them. to maintain the status points. That that was, was, that was just... <laughs> I was like, why are I up there? How do you get on those planes? I bet those lounges are ace. Uh, and the, and so then the young student who was rescuing me was like, the gentleman is asking you to come with him, but I frankly, if I were you in your shoes, I would de- politely decline his offer. Uh, so I did. And he took me back to his hotel. And uh, the next day I flew out. When I arrived back in the States for the subsequent three or four years, I never didn't get put into secondary oh. screening every single time I came back. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. right. So... 
always took at least three to four hours of sitting in a room waiting for them to do all kinds of background checks and then grilling me about this and grilling me about Gosh, that. Gosh, okay, you're on a list. Yeah, on the list. <laughs> so that one way, I'd rather... <laughs> Man, but the, the lounges you, were but great. The lounges, though. <laughs> the lounges. Gosh. I gotta tell yeah. you. Yeah. So There's this little right. asterisk next to the thing about yeah. the lounge access. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a tiny thing. Please note. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so you got into and you got into political satire in the first place by doing what? Well, I was interning on a a daily news comedy show that had just sort of started up. It was a two minute show. I mean, this is not even a thing. A two minute show, but it was on, it was on ABC Two Comedy Channel. I think it aired at seven. 28 or something i mean like. it was just ahead of its time because everything's two minutes now these days. the kids with their twitch and their and yeah, their tiktok that's, that's right exactly. you were ahead of the time of it. it seemed like well, this is ridiculous and so we were doing that and so I was, I was just interning on that and i just sort of kept interning until they put me on the payroll and uh at first that show was sort of like oh what's funny in the news today you know i've only got, only got two minutes so, oh justin bieber's done something ridiculous or oh this new song you know gangnam style let's do something about that or, but over time, as you're reading the newspaper every single day, you start going, oh, there's some quite important things going on. And uh, mm. some of these things feel like they're perhaps more worthy of being <laughs> lampooned than, you know, the, the latest pop sensation from uh, from Korea. So it was over time just like you just naturally start to become you know, fairly well-informed, I would say. And had you been a news junkie? Not when at in all. your teens, not, were you a news junkie? Not even close. Oh. Not even close. I had no, and I had no interest in politics. You seem like the sort all. of guy who was. Uh, yeah, well, I'm glad I give that impression. Yeah. I, I put a lot of work into that. But um, the no, I had no interest in it. The story I always tell is that my parents were politically, they were on you know opposite sides of the spectrum. I don't mean far Which left was, far right. I just mean like, oh. <laughs> like, like just more like, more like, more like one, like, one more, one more progressive one more okay. when you said opposite ends of the spectrum i literally i like in my brain there was like someone in it with a swastika armband <laughs> no, doing let's, let's, goose stepping and then another with a communist a cartoon communist side sure yeah a let's, buxom wench harvesting right. grain yeah actually that reminds me though i have an idea no actually <laughs> I, I have an idea that this yeah. is the one show that i could discuss it on but will i do it but, anyway, but yeah let's narrow that spectrum they no no work. no go with that idea i've got this idea I think this is. I think it's a. I think it's a satirical idea. Yeah. I. I, I think this should. I. I wonder if there's something. There's an, an app, in the style of Tinder. I haven't given it a name yet, but for argument's sake, we'll call it Blinder. We'll call it yeah, and Jason Blason. We'll call it Hate Fucker. And basically, it's you put in your political stance, mm. and then they match you up with people on the opposite. Uh, oh, end of the spectrum mm. because I think those people would like to hate fuck each other. Yes, you know it's just like you know what you're you're gorgeous, you're hot, what have you. I hate everything about what I you love believe. This. Let's get it on. I, I think love there's it. actually something the vegan and the hunter. Yeah, can right. you imagine? Sure, yeah, exactly. It doesn't it have to doesn't just have be, political. be political. It's exactly. cultural. That's it. Yes, That's the it. woke. I mean, don't get us started on trans issues so. and the and the transphobes. So <laughs> sometimes, no, often that's the thing. Is that you know, a thing? Yes, and like you know, closeted gay people who are super. Who are super homophobic? The pastor, right? Yep, sure. You know, and the 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 gay Mardi Gras, the guy who who rides the giant inflatable cock down Oxford Street in the Mardi Gras. Go for it. They don't call this uncomfortable conversations <laughs> for nothing. I can see you squirming already. <laughs> no, uh, ooh, he said cock. I, I, am, I can't get away with this at seven fifty eight in the evening. Um. So yeah. I anyway, like that. that's my that's that's my pitch. I should yeah. Part of me thinks it actually is a good idea. It actually is a good idea because isn't, I mean, I think a lot of it 
opposites attract, they say. Raw that. animal sex is that. Right. Yes. It's just that we don't factor that in. Well, or maybe the geniuses at the, match.com do and we don't know about it. The, the I got the idea from George. Well, I didn't, they didn't give it to me. They yeah. didn't, I didn't speak to him, but the, <laughs> right. it was inspired by George and Kellyanne Conway. Is that because right. I would see people say, man, they must have amazing sex. It must be, that must be oh, what it is. Because, like, clearly, He's out he, during the Trump administration. He was out there on Twitter bashing Trump every single day. Mm. And every day she's got to go out there and say, everything's hunky-dory. I just assumed they lived in different houses and yeah. slept in different beds. But yeah. this is a nice But I like the idea like that the actually idea they're really actually quite rock solid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. And having amazing sex. So that's, 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 thank you. Yeah, that George and Kellyanne have inspired this. I'm not sure I wanted the image of George and Kellyanne having sex. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. In my brain. It's beautiful in its own way. Is Josh, it? Don't really? judge. So you had this two-minute program. Yeah. And, uh, and, now, and now you run Hate Fucker, right? Now, yeah, uh, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> is it lucrative, the Hate Fucker app? How, how do you fund it? How do you monetize it? Yeah, how do you monetize uh, it, exactly? So anyway, so we're doing the two-minute program. That then expanded to a massive 10 minutes a night. Yeah. And what was this program called? So called The Do Roast. I remember this? The, the Roast, roast. Yes. right. And uh, anyway, so did, 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 did a 10-minute version of that for a couple of years. And within that time, I then sort of carved out a niche. I, I had a little sort of rapid-fire headlines segment at the top of the show, which is very much inspired by Norm MacDonald because I really felt like, oh, it would be nice if – because we – we're trying to do big stories and deep dives in the way that you would see, I guess now you would see on like last week tonight with John Oliver or what have you. But I sort of felt like, is there a way that we can just do short stories where it's just bam, bam, joke, 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 you know, Based set on up punchline the, or whatever. You when know. Norm was doing the weekend update exactly. on SNL. That's it. Yeah. And because the show, show was so short, just kind of doing it in a kind of rapid fire Prime Minister Tony Abbott today has announced something and that kind of thing. And uh, and it sort of developed, a, you know, a little tiny bit of a reputation. And then the show ended. And then The Guardian picked that segment up uh, for a series of web videos. And then after that, the feed at SBS called me up and said, oh, do you want to come and do, you know, your shtick over, over here? And then it sort of evolved into doing, yeah, satirical kind of sketches did that for a couple of years and then eventually got asked whether I'd like to join 7.30. So I've, but yeah, so it's been about nine years that I've, mm. that's that, that sort of, that through line of political comedy. And uh, this is a stupid question because I always hate it when people ask me, but mm. where do you get your ideas from? Like, I mean, I remember when I, so my first job, as some listeners will know, was doing satire and political comedy on Mike Carlton's show on 2UE when The Chaser left there and they got their ABC TV show, uh, they had been mentors slash idols of mine, a sort of half generation older than me at uni. Right. And so I then slipped in and like pitched myself to Carlton because I knew that they were leaving and I did a good John Howard. Uh, and that was about <laughs> enough for Mike Carlton at the time. <laughs> That's all you needed. That was all you needed. It was a good, a good John Howard impression. Yeah. Um, and eventually worked up a bunch of different voices, but the writing of the like it's quite hard to not make satire obvious mm -hmm. because everyone's got their initial satirical take sure. on any public figure. Yes. And so I would inhale a lot of like letters to the editor, a lot of editorial cartoons, uh, a lot of op-ed articles to try to piece together like what is the actual, what is the kernel of hypocrisy that is interesting to attack mm -hmm. this week or mm -hmm. today? Yes. And then... As I'm going at it, how do I not make the audience know what's coming sure. a split second before it's about to land yeah. and then make it something that's interesting? What the 
what the improv people in New York would call going from A to D instead of from A to B. Right. Uh, sure. Do you? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, just quickly. So Ch- Charles Firth, who founded the Chaser, he he created the roast. So that that was my sort of. Mm. Uh, and so I've done a lot of stuff with with Charles since. So we are both children. We're children of Charles. Children right? of Charles. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the telly movie, the name of the telly movie. Yeah, you've seen Children of the Corn. Yes, this is Children of Charles. <laughs> and um, so, how do, how do I, where do my ideas come from? Uh, I mean, obviously, yes, consuming a lot of news, which is something also that when when we're not on air, I, I immediately stop doing. I don't know if you are. A yeah, I do as well. No, I, I turn off. I, I, but I think largely that's because of social media. Before yes. social media, I read the newspaper every day right, and I yes. consumed news. Now it's so fast. Yes, that I've pulled back yeah. when I'm not on the air. That's it. And I take the attitude of if it's not important enough to be in the Economist or the Weekend Papers, I don't need to worry about yes. it. Yes, well, I mean, this is something we may end up getting onto, but like, yeah, because yeah, Twitter is a big part of my life, and it's a big sort of reason for me being doing this work that I'm doing now is that I've had success. My sketches have done well on Twitter, and that's that's helped me build an audience. But tw- so Twitter has simultaneously been the best thing for my career and the worst thing for my mental health. Yeah. And one of the things I can't stand, and part of the reason that I switch off when I don't need to w- watch it, is that there seems to have been a culture has developed where a lot of people feel like they need to weigh in on whatever the story of the day is. There's this sort of something will come up and suddenly everyone has a take on it. Now, I'm not saying they, they shouldn't. I'm just saying it's a lot to take in of suddenly an example last week. I'm sorry, I'm taking us on a side tangent. I'll Please. eventually answer your question. That's not, no, this is the whole point of the show. This show is entirely <laughs> side tangents. If you noticed. But like there was a thing last week where, there was this thing about the the Australia Club. Um, this this I think it's a men's only club, some sort of elite thing. I'd never heard of it, um, and then suddenly they were having a vote to decide whether or not they should let women enter. And it was a funny thing where suddenly the vote failed. Fortunately, in vote. case any listeners are worried that there were ladies <laughs> la- br- dragging yeah, their malodorous. <laughs> And and it's a sort Bodies. of thing, and it's a sort of it's a weird thing where like I sort of think, oh, men's only club. It seems a bit archaic, and and so I sort of went, oh, I'm I'm sure they'll vote to allow women in, but it was it was, and then of course they didn't. Um, but it was the thing where suddenly everyone had an opinion on this thing yeah. that a day earlier I'd never heard mm. of, and I think I don't want to live like that. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I don't I don't want to suddenly be go from no awareness of something to too much awareness of something. Yes. And and that too much awareness suddenly gives it a weight that I'm not sure it, it, it deserves. Yeah. Uh, and so, and like the day before that, you know, Peter Credlin, who had been the chief of staff to Tony Abbott, she was uh, awarded an Order of Australia, which I don't, I don't know what an American equivalent of an Order of Australia. Presidential was. Medal of Freedom, maybe? Something like that, something maybe, like yeah. That. And so, but they hand out a lot of these. And um, It's what used to be a knighthood, yeah. kind of. Well... No, that's the highest level. AM is probably what a knight was. Right. And so anyway, she receives this award along with a bunch of other people. And that's then the story of the day because she's not, you know, she's not popular, certainly in progressive circles. And and I just like, even though, you know, if I were on the the board, I'm probably, you know, she's not the first name that comes to mind of who I'd. Uh, yeah, but uh, these people was. get nominated as well. That's the thing that yeah. I always don't understand about people getting angry about people getting awards. Mm. Like somebody nominate somebody from the community, and admittedly, it might be her cat. We don't mm. know who does the nominating. It could be, you know, someone who's totally partisan. But nonetheless, 
the person gets nominated and then your job as the person who's deciding whether or not to give the award is are the criteria fulfilled yes like has this person made a contribution and just because you don't like the person's politics doesn't mean that they didn't make a contribution to public life. Yes. You know? Like, yes, exactly. That's what I sort of don't get about people no, getting angry about people sh- receiving awards just because exactly. they came from the wrong party. Yeah. So, and I, so I kind of, you know, like I say, I wouldn't have given her an award, but but she may have. But she, maybe you would have. Maybe, if the nomination actually, maybe I would had come have. across that's, your sure, desk and you'd looked at the criteria yeah. and you'd gone, has this person. I, would, I wouldn't have nominated. I think I probably no, wouldn't right. have nominated. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, but suddenly, you know, then that unleashes, you know, you know, thousands of tweets, and it's a weird thing where even though I might instinctively go, "Oh yeah, I, I don't, I'm not sure if that's someone I would put forward," suddenly I now hear thousands of people echoing some version of my own sentiment. But then, actually, sometimes maybe even being much more vitriolic, and I'm now going, "I don't know if I feel that way anymore." No, I'm, now, exactly. I'm now retreating. Yes. yes, now that now that you've articulated my position in such an obnoxious that's, way, that's I'm going to retreat from it. That's it. I feel that all the time. I mean, I feel that about all political persuasions and all thought yes. movements. I, I I think that's something I find heartbreaking sometimes. Is, is I'll see something where I go, "I absolutely agree with what you just said. I think you've articulated that in the worst possible way." Mm. Uh, and have actually damaged the movement by by doing it. <laughs> Did you see that piece about like the sort of woke, censorious, finger wagging left about how like how insufferable they are even to people on the left? And I'm trying to remember what is the this, sketch was. D- anyway, I'll insert it or something. Who is to blame for making neo Nazis look like the new rock and roll punk? And the answer is unfortunately partly us. Don't get me wrong, I love left wing values and hope that one day they'll win out across the globe. It's just that. On that day, I don't want any actual left-wing people to be alive to see it happen. Why? Because we're fucking useless. I mean, first of all, Brexit. What the fuck happened there? Well, uh, the left employed a cunning two-prong strategy by one, calling every Leave voter a racist, and two, uh, failing to put forward a positive case uh, for Remain. Uh, Right. Weird how not engaging 17 million Brits and slagging them off instead didn't win them over. But at least yelling RACIST online made us feel good about ourselves and had no bad, long-lasting side effects. The UK has voted to leave the European Union. Ah, shit. Well, don't worry. After Brexit, we learnt our lesson. And then the US election came along and we thought, nah, let's just do that again. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Not surprisingly, the left's campaign of vote for us, you pieces of shit, didn't pan out so well. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. But don't worry, it's not just the big battles. The left are totally useless on a small scale as well. This is largely thanks to the foul brick of nightmares we all have sewn into our hands, which means we're also bleeding woke all the time that we find something new to be offended by every few seconds. Just for example, the movie Dunkirk is sexist, using the word wife is offensive. This cute kid is a massive racist. Doctors saying your weight isn't healthy is fat shaming. Halloween costumes are a microaggression. Mark Twain is racist. In fairness, he is 183 years old. We should have seen it coming. And practicing yoga is cultural genocide. Again, not quite the big picture issues the left used to be famous for. That was Jazz Twemlow, a brilliant lefty comic in a sketch he did for the final week of the ABC comedy program, Tonightly with Tom Ballard. Like, can't you just make the same points without being a dick? Yeah. And, then, and I think, and like you say, I think it's all sides. I think, I think it happens both, both ways. So there are, yeah. So... Yeah, that's. I think that's what I. That's that's my yeah, struggle with is Twitter is just. I've always thought that ideally there'd be some sort of a cap, sort of saying, all right, the big topic today is Peter Credlin has been awarded an Order of Australia. We're taking twenty tweets on this, and that's it. 
Yeah, that's it. We're not doing anything. And if your point has already been made by one you're of these other twenty tweets, you can't unless you've got a new, radical new take. Yeah, we're going to go with one of the twenty tweets that exist. So, would but, it be a first come first serve <laughs> on twenty tweets, or I mean, is I guess, there some well, quality guess, control? I guess, again, I guess just like in the, the Humphreys dictatorship. Like, yeah, exactly. Just like the Order of Australia, you'd have to nominate someone yeah, to nominate, nominate the tweet. tweet. There'd be a whole thing. But there actually that does already exist. It's called the op-ed pages of a newspaper. Right. Yes. Sure. That's where where there's an editorial control <laughs> over who gets to have their opinion. So anyway, I, I now have to walk back my comments because obviously I want to encourage everyone to be engaged and to make a no, contribution. No, you don't have to pretend. <laughs> That's all right. You don't have to pander to my audience. But I, I have mature enough <laughs> listeners to understand that we sometimes don't want to hear from them. It's, but it's more just like I just and, and maybe I just need to work out how to use the platform differently. But no, that, the platform's what... <laughs> broken and your criticisms are completely <laughs> legit. No, there's no. We were not built to be to. Have have performative opinions constantly sort of policed or applauded by our peers in real time mm. in the aggregate. Like this is an insane way to be communicating with each other. Yeah. So, but you know, that said, you know, I, but I, I, I say, you know, but I'm also, also obviously I'm someone who's fortunate enough to, to get to, to have a, a large platform to put together some sort of, some version of my take on things. So, you know, that, uh, that's, you know, I, I, I don't want to be yeah, discouraging people from having their take on it, but it's, I think sometimes it's the things that seem to me relatively small that suddenly seem big by the sheer sort of, I suppose, I don't know, boredom of Twitter. Do, just... do you think you're a contrarian by nature? No, I don't. Like I don't. when you see, is it that you see the herd stampeding in one direction and therefore you feel the need to go in another direction? I or? don't think so much that I feel the need to go in the other direction, but just uh, maybe maybe, maybe I feel slightly anxious when I see it all, them going all in. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go completely the other way, but I'd probably just step back. Right, step, step to the side a <laughs> little bit. Step to the side. And I just don't participate. I, I mean, some, occasionally if I feel like I've got some you know, clever observation to make. But a lot of the time I'll just observe because I, mean, I just it's think sort of, it's more noise. But it's also kind of fruitless to actually participate. In my experience, mm-hmm. maybe I'm just maybe I'm just too much of a shit stirrer. But if I'm <laughs> going to communicate in any way that isn't going to get me into tr- more trouble than it's worth, then I'm going to be saying something that other people have said. And yes. it's a fairly predictable thing to sure. say. So I might sure. as well not say the thing that's not going to get me into trouble. That's, and if yes. I'm going to say the thing that's going to get me into trouble, then why bother? Yes. I mean, maybe that's what it should be, is that ideally the algorithm would be so clever that you tweet something and and before, just as the way it's, just as there might be a little warning, because I think there's now, if you if you want to share an, a news article, it might say, hey, just check, you know, have you read the article? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's quite, it's yeah. quite passive aggressive. It says, would you like to read the article before you tweet it, you fuckhead? <laughs> but I'd love the algorithm to develop to a point where it can actually detect how many other people have articulated this point of view and just maybe go would mm. you like to retweet that person yes that's good <laughs> um, your point has been made yeah. by 143,622,582 yes. people of whom mm. 32% made it better than you yeah so that's 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 the weird thing because obviously like because in terms of like a, a movement or in terms of people on mass opposing something that's actually quite powerful to suddenly see if you're in your timeline bam 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 all these people you know coming out against something but i think it's when it's the thing that to me to me at least seems relatively trivial like an award in that case but even uh, that, if it's that's big, when i does that 
like does that change the equation well, i think it's in its i don't want to equate it to marching but it's a sort of it's, it's almost like a digital march if suddenly you see person after person speaking out against something maybe for instance like the billowila um family i think that's something that's been you know quite useful do you to want to see. explain that oh sure so uh, this is a Tamil family from Sri Lanka who had come to Australia and then had, so, so a husband and wife, um, they then had to, they came here, I'm not fully across the whole I mean, they came, basically, they came here illegally by boat and then as a result uh-huh. of Australia's harsh treatment of people who arrive illegally by boat, uh, well, it's not illegal if you're a genuine refugee, I shouldn't say that. They came in an undocumented fashion by boat and then they've been languishing, rotting on a, a desert island that we sent them to, I believe, on yeah, Christmas yes. Island, right? Yes. Uh, for several years now mm. and uh, one of the one of the daughters got sick and so she had to come to the mainland for medical evacuation but it took yeah. too long and the government was dragging its feet and they were regarded as being uh, overly harsh and this all feeds into the the general australian uh, soul searching about how cruelly we treat people who arrive by boat yes and so the family have now been reunited but they're in in perth so they're kind of on the australian mainland but they're still in community t- detention they can't go back to the community that that wants them back. So it's still, that's an ongoing thing. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I probably saw about as many tweets about that as I did about Peter Credlin. Uh, and, and that's what I think is, that's where I kind of go. I don't know how we kind of modify that because clearly the the welfare of this family is infinitely more important than a, a, a certificate that, you know, Tony Abbott's former chief of staff. Oh, it's not just a certificate. She oh, gets it, a little get? bro- brooch oh, as well. Oh, okay. All right. a pin on her lapel. Right, okay. And mm. then she gets a little sale of the century pin and uh, a pen and uh, all sorts of other prizes. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so that, that's, that's, that's where, where that's, I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that it, I think Twitter sometimes ends up with this situation where things that are not equal of importance almost appear to be by the sheer quantity of discussion well, yeah, around and also them. don't people posture and pretend to care about things more than they actually care about them i mean isn't that you're reminding me a little bit i saw recently a clip of jordan peterson on q a a few years ago mm-hmm. where uh a young girl asked him whether or not he how he can defend his attitude his his advice to young people to clean their rooms and get their own house in order before they start uh taking on big global issues because aren't they pressing global issues that need our attention right now like climate change and his response was basically that generally people there's a lot that people are running from about themselves Mm -hmm. and there's a lot that we don't want to deal with in our real lives and a logical psychological response to that is to grasp for grand missions that we can accomplish where we cast ourselves as the hero Mm -hmm. of our own story Mm -hmm. Uh, and instead of doing the grind and the shit of cleaning up our own messes in our own locality we can we can make ourselves feel good about ourselves and look good to our neighbors and family uh-huh. by taking on big issues yeah. and i wonder whether social media isn't just becoming a forum for that as well so everything becomes a big noble cause for you to score a virtue right. point about whether right. it's peter credlin or whether it's the Bellowella family it do- doesn't really mm-hmm. matter it's an opportunity for you to not have to clean your room My experience has been that people can do a tremendous amount of good for themselves and for the people who are immediately around them by looking to their own inadequacies and their own flaws and the things that they're not doing in their lives and starting to build themselves up as more powerful individuals. And if they're capable of doing that, then they're capable of expanding their career. 
And if they're capable of expanding their career and their competence, then they're capable of taking their place in the community as effective leaders. And then they're capable of making wise decisions instead of unwise decisions when it comes to making collective political decisions. I'm not suggesting in the least and have never suggested that there's no domain for social action. I'm suggesting that people who don't have their own houses in order should be very careful before they go about reorganizing the world, which happens in many ways. Can I just, just to... If a young person believes that the uh, climate, the global warming um, problem on the climate is something that needs to be tackled quickly and they can't wait until they grow up and become prime ministers to do it, do, do you think collective responsibility overrides individual responsibility in a huge issue like that? No. <laughs> OK. I don't. I think that generally, I think that generally, I think that generally people, I think generally people have things that are more within their personal purview that are more difficult to deal with and that they're avoiding and that generally the way they avoid them is by adopting uh, pseudo moralistic stances on large scale social issues so that they look good to their friends and their neighbors. That's what it looks like. So when I so when I see all these tweets, I should imagine, man, that person's room must be so terrible. Dirty. My gosh, disgusting! If only they would <laughs> devote that energy to something in exactly. their immediate vicinity. Um, do you find that it's distracting you from things that you'd be better off doing? Social media. I, I think I've I think I've gotten better. Do you have the app on your phone? I do. Mm. I do. Did you ever get rid of it? I did. I've had I've had periods where it was there and wasn't there. Absolutely. It's good not having it there. It's good having to go to a computer and type in www.twitter.com that's right yeah so you know and i'm quite envious of people who tell me that they yeah they deleted the airport um but the way i justify it to myself is that i do think i need it for for work i do need to be aware of what the conversation is i think it's useful to see what at least some of the sentiment is around certain issues and what is an issue that, you know, yeah, people are, are interested in because um, I've also got to be appealing to, you know, because sometimes I've, well, this is an, actually, I'm back and tracking on, on this now. One of the interesting challenges I have sometimes, so maybe it's not interesting at all, interesting to me. Um, <laughs> I'll be the judge of that. Yeah. I have my gavel at the ready. But like, do you, you know, do you want to, you know, do you want to do a piece of comedy about something that everyone's talking about so that you're kind of tapping into that conversation? Or do you want to highlight something that you think is worth satirizing but isn't really mm. being talked about and you and sometimes you and you'll see in the response you'll see in the, the maybe it's a reflection of the quality of, of what i've made but just sometimes it's just like you know there's going to be a, a less there's going to be a muted response to me talking about uh, secret trials involving Witness K. This is a whole thing for international audiences. Will mean nothing. It might even mean nothing to Australian audiences. But like that—that's a story that is still kind of. I don't want to say it's on the fringes, but it's—it's it's certainly. I, I would sort say it's police not a, overreach, secrecy yeah, of the Australian government. Exactly. Those sorts and I would of say it's not really a mainstream story, and so it, it's something that's. Yeah, not everyone is talking about. Not everyone has a clear sort of mm. take on, and so well, there the difficulty is that you have to explain the story in the satire, well, which is really hard. That's and that's a that's a really good point. That's that because the ideally ideal sketch is something where everyone already knows what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, there's no background. There's to no background, and 
Because I, mean, I, I mentioned John Stewart earlier, and that was one of the revolutionary things about what he did to the Daily Show. I think, which is within the the pre John Stewart Daily Show with Craig Kilborn was gags and punchlines mostly about the kardashians or mm. whoever was the equivalent in the late 90s uh and then john stewart started actually describing the news and explaining the news and through the course of explaining what you needed to know about the news he would also insert jokes about it and yes. then bring you to a satisfying yeah yes payoff. exactly and he had the time to do that i have because i have and the two, 25 writers yes that's it because i've got two, you have 22 right <laughs> that's right 23? 22 so i've got so I, I write with a guy named Evan Williams. We've been running together for years. So it's the two of us. And, yeah, we've got two to three minutes once a fortnight. So we get one swing, you know, once a fortnight. We've got to choose one topic once a fortnight. And, yeah, ideally the, the less time that we can spend explaining what the story is mm. means, you know, the more time for the actual jokes. So something like Witness K is something that we did do a sketch about, but it was difficult trying to convey. Also, it's also difficult to... Was the sketch convey. any good? Well, I mean, I don't... Maybe not, but that's... I mean, that's part of it. That's what, like I said, maybe the sketch wasn't wasn't particularly fantastic. But I know one of the challenges for us making it was that not all the information is out there in both senses. Both people aren't aware of it. Then it's not a mainstream story. And also there's a lot of secrecy around the story itself. Yeah, right. So some of the details are not clear. You know, the fact that we've been calling them Witness K. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know, they're, they're not lighting up Instagram, this no, person. Right? No, that's right. Well, they may be. We're just not aware. We don't know who they are. We just don't know who they are. So that's sort of something where it's like, now that, to me, that felt like something that was worth talking about. But how quickly can you convey that? And mm. then once you've, all right, does everyone understand the story? Okay, that, we spent 30 seconds explaining it. All right, now here's something funny about it. I mean, um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Get ready to giggle. <laughs> but I reckon there's a third category of, sketch isn't there there's not just the one that everybody knows about or the one that people don't know about there's doing the story that people know about in a way that they would never predict that you were going to do it yes yes sure which uh, is because like there's nothing lazier or more annoying than knowing exactly where the gag or the take is going to go yes. and then pandering to the audience all the way yes. and delivering them exactly what they wanted yes uh yeah, I'm trying to think of specific examples. I know there have been things that have come up where there's been a quite, yeah, it's been quite an obvious way that you could send something up and people might even tweet it at me. They might even, that's the thing. What, if if I yeah. see someone... By the time people yeah, are suggesting your satirical sketches to yeah. you on Twitter. That's yeah. it. I mean, that's, and that's sort of, you know, that's one of the things. Like if I see that someone's tweeted that idea, mm. I, can't, I can't in good conscience go and make that thing. Uh, so I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't want to be doing something that I know has already been thought up by someone else. Um, so you know, like we've, an example, this is a weird example, but so there's a guy named Barnaby Joyce who is now the Deputy Prime Minister of Australia. He had previously been in this position but had been sort of brought down through a series of scandals. Um, anyway, he's back in the role now. And I, for years now, have been doing a character sort of loosely inspired by him called because he because he because part of his scandal was that he had um impregnated his staff he was married he then impregnated his staffer and then, uh, I, love, I love the use of the term impregnated impreg- here yeah 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 it yeah. sounds like they went to an ivf <laughs> clinic and he it. paid good money that's, for a scientist there was a syringe involved so, yeah that's right and um anyway so they had child and obviously it ended his marriage and what have you and 
damaged his political career. Um, so I've been doing a character based on Barnaby Joyce for several years now called Barabbas Loins. Now I can say with great confidence that it's highly unlikely that anyone else on Twitter came up with the name Barabbas Loins. Mm. Uh, and then so so when I do Barabbas Loins, that's my thing. That's Yours. my version yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, How does Barabbas speak? Barabbas basically speaks like someone who is not particularly uh, competent uh, or confident on camera, but he's sort of, it usually starts with, good eye, uh, I'm, my name's Barabbas Lines, <laughs> member for Offal Seed and minister for Troy Casadaly, um, is a country and western singer. So the joke is he's always minister for some sort of country-related you know, yep. thing. Regional minister, and rural. Exactly. Minister for Bushman's hankies. Yeah. Uh, minister for reruns of McLeod's daughters. You know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, and yeah, so that's, I like, so I can confidently say no one else is going to. No, no, that's right. <laughs> uh, and so are you having to cobble together something about this uh, right now? Yes, that's it. So right. now that he's back, I've got to do something on, on, on that. And, and it's been actually exciting because like on Twitter, people, you know, loads, I've had so many tweets of people saying, oh, this is terrible news about Barnaby Joyce, but great to see Barabbas Loins is coming yeah. back. You know, <laughs> so from a kind of career standpoint, yeah, like you know, yeah. it's 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 quite good for me, even though uh, you know a lot of people would not be enthusiastic. Look, about I remember the po- I remember looking at the polls for John Howard as we were going into the two thousand and seven election. Right. And I was like, my career is over. You know, <laughs> <laughs> this has been my bread and butter since yeah. two thousand and two. Yeah. It's funny, two thousand and seven. Like I, I was in, I was living in France. In 2007. Oh, la dee da, from me. Crow's Nest to I know, France. I've done it all. And I had no idea of the momentum that was building um, behind uh, Kevin Rudd at that time. I remember just being in, in my own world and thinking, oh, Howard's been Prime Minister for almost, you know, for mm, as long as 150 I've been, years. Yeah, as long as he'll I've been be, sort of switched on. He'll be Emperor for yeah, another 150 who's, more. Who's Kevin Rudd? He'll mm. never And I remember I went to Paris to vote and I went to the, you know, sorry, it sounds so pretentious, but it, it's what happened. I was on a school, you know, I was in a uni exchange thing and uh, I went to vote and there was all these, there were people in Paris wearing Kevin 07 shirts. Wow. And I was like, am I missing something? And yes, I was. Wow. <laughs> Le Kevin 07. Yeah, it doesn't right. even rhyme. No, it doesn't even work in French. <laughs> they did it. So, yeah. Yeah, and it was it was so fascinating just yeah and so that, that began a, a lot yeah so since then i've tried to be slightly more clued in <laughs> yeah that i think that would help if you can yeah, you're gonna see at least a lot a change of administration at a minimum you would expect to be something mm. that you that a satirist would keep their eye on yeah yeah, exactly. uh, yeah and then i just started doing uh, doing kevin rudd instead of john howard right and that eventually just fell apart oh, he's just not as funny do you still pull out the howard from time to time just for no because i think howard is too uh well occasionally <laughs> It, it's meant occasionally people just insist and so it's just easier just to do it and then and the way that i get around doing an impression without doing an impression uh, is to articulate a particular mannerism of speech that the person does mm-hmm. and then incorporate it into my refusal to do the impression <laughs> great so uh-huh. one for howard what what i would always tell people who were working on their john howards to do is that he would have a what i would call like a, a sort of a preemptive negation of whatever it was that he was saying. Uh-huh. So he might say, uh, far be it from me uh, to do some kind of uh, an impression. No, 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 look, no, no, I, no, I will not, no, I will not. And so that kind of stammering great. series of no's yeah. becomes then the impression as you're refusing to do the that, impression. That's great. That reminds me of Dana Carvey because he was obviously known for his George 
Bush senior impression. Mm. And one of his phrases was uh, not going to do it. And, and so if people, <laughs> ask, yeah, so if people <laughs> ask him to do the impression, he, he, he says, no, I think he'll say something like, uh, yeah, you, well, you may want me to do the impression, but uh, not gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who did Clinton on? Uh, well, d- well, you had so you did have uh, Phil Hartman did it. Phil yeah, Hartman, no, and then you I had Daryl Hammond. Daryl Hammond, yes, yeah. who I interviewed a bunch of times on Huff oh, Post right. Live. He's another great SNL person. Yeah, yeah. Who was fascinating because he is completely apolitical. Talk about you not being interested in the news. He not only wasn't interested in the news, didn't know anything about the news, right. and was incapable of being sufficiently interested for long enough to even understand what he was saying. So Gosh. all of those classic sketches about where he was playing Clinton <laughs> uh, going up against against Al Gore, uh, sorry, against uh, against Bob Dole, and then uh, during like the early years of, I guess it would have been the late nineties. He didn't even know what the jokes were about. I mean, wow. with, the, with the exception of the broad knowledge that Clinton was embroiled in some kind of sex scandal, he, he didn't know. He, he, he only, he knew, he only knew Trump for the stakes. That was his whole <laughs> thing. But that's that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's Isn't that amazing. Wow. So for him, it's purely performative. It's just about noticing the mannerisms. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, sure. But again, and I envy these people. I mean, because I, I have this simultaneously, I feel like I, I, I seriously think people need to be engaged in politics. They need to be switched on. They need to be reading. They need to be know what's know what's happening. And if you can also avoid knowing what's going on, uh, then I, I wish I think yeah. that's the best possible thing. Or just do. focus on the big stuff. Like, have you have you heard the Oliver Berkman episode of this show? It's no. one of the early episodes. You should listen to it because it touches on something here that you you would like. Oliver is a a writer for The Guardian who lives in New York who has his own column in The Guardian globally, and it's about um, happiness and psychology. And his his thesis is basically at the moment we're all paying way too much attention to the news wow. and we're using it as a proxy for actual life. Uh-huh. So we're spending, it sort of sounds a little bit like what Jordan Peterson was saying in a way, uh, which is we're not spending enough time actually enmeshed in our communities and our lives and our cats and we're spending way too much time exercising ourselves about things that actually don't really matter. And we're using that as a way of feeling almost not just good about ourselves, but better than other people who know less about things that are going on abroad. Yes, as if right. the fact that my next door neighbor is tending to her garden instead of fretting about what's happening with the coronavirus in India uh-huh. makes her a worse person. Right. But actually my fretting about the coronavirus in India isn't affecting anything. Sure. So I'd be better off looking after a plant right, and actually right. doing some good. Yes, that's, that's interesting. I, I had to give a, deliver some bad news to someone today about someone who had uh, died. And uh, it was so strange. Like I, Within seconds of me telling them, the news that this person that we both knew had, had died, they went, yeah, yeah. Well, interesting to see Barnaby back in the- <laughs> <laughs> It was like almost just didn't know how to yeah. talk about it. <laughs> Were they close with this person? Um, not hugely close, but knew, 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 them, knew them pretty well. And, um, yeah, it was just... <laughs> funny isn't it we're so unprepared yeah it was just so bizarre i don't know how i would what was there to say i mean i when i was in high school our deputy principal died and i found out because i was like school wanker prefect or something uh, (laughs) i don't remember what capacity school student union or something and i had to call all my peers and tell them so it was the only time in my life where i've had a succession of psychological experiments by hearing people's re- reaction oh, wow. to some powerful yes. news. He was a beloved 
figure, a fantastic guy, the confidant of all of us as a school community. And we would have been in probably year 12. So I think we were old enough to be grown ups. Mm -hmm. And it was so fascinating to hear some people burst out laughing and said, What? Wow. Some people were silent for 15 seconds. A few cried. Most didn't. Some changed the subject. <sighs> Others asked lots of personal questions about how it happened. Yes, yes. It's really interesting. That's... Like none of us is, none of us has a, it's one of those areas where you don't have the template to pull out of your jacket pocket. That's, that's so interesting. I, I think something, something that I think about when um, sometimes, like the other day um, I was a train, I had to get an Uber because the trains were cancelled because clearly something had happened. Someone had you know, jumped in front of a train or that. I think they had even announced it. I, mean, I don't think they're supposed to, but I think they'd even announced someone's been hit by a train. Um, and so I, I called an Uber and they were asking something like, oh, why are you, <laughs> it, why are you getting an Uber? <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, the trains aren't running because someone sounds like someone got hit by a train. And they're like, oh, did they die? And I was like, I, but, I don't know. But they don't know. And also just like, don't, just don't ask, like, mm. even if they didn't. Mm. I mean, assume they probably, if you get were hit they, by a and train. And were they torn completely apart? Yeah, were it. they recognizable? It was, it was, I was weirdly annoyed by it. Yeah. And there's also that thing where when you get that piece of news that the trains have been canceled, you've got to juggle those two competing feelings, which is, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm already running late. And now what am I going to do? And then like someone right now, has just has, has had the worst possible thing happen mm. to them and there's going to be rippling effects on their friends and family. And it's so weird that this moment where you're preoccupied and, you, and I always try and kind of just take a step back and go, there's bigger things at play here. Yeah. Just, you're going to be late and that's fine. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember my mum saying that when we were living in London, she was on the at a tube station and they said that the, the underground's delayed because of a body on the tracks and there was a woman standing next to her who went, oh, inconsiderate, and looked at her watch. <laughs> yeah, sure. And mum, like, that's, that affected her so much. Like, yeah. she came home and told us about it. Like, imagine being that much of a bitch. That's it. <laughs> you, like, well, I, mean, I, I remember thinking, it's funny, I was, in, I was in London when in 2005 when the uh, the tube bombings occurred and there was a, the bus as well. Mm. This is, was it July 7th? Yep, 7-7. And um, I was catching the tube that morning. I was I, I went down into whichever station I was at and I, I went to buy a ticket and as I was buying the ticket, the system, suddenly the one behind the counter said, look, oh, the system's, the system says I can't, I can't sort of like shut down. You, uh, you, I can't sell your ticket. You're going to have to walk. I was like, what? So she's like, I don't know. Something's happened. You're going to have to walk. Like, oh, okay. And so I walked to where I needed to get to and then I ended up, I was visiting family outside of London and it was not until hours later that I found out what had actually happened. Anyway, I came back to London at the end of the day and obviously for that period, for the whole day, there'd been no trains or, or buses and just at the very end of the day, they started up some services again. I just remember people pushing and shoving to get onto the, mm. onto the bus. And I was just like, surely this is the time to all just kind of look out for each other let's mm. take our time let's not rush um for a start if you don't yeah. make it onto the bus the <laughs> yeah, boss, maybe, bus might blow up it. anyway maybe so that's calm down. your lucky day so yeah it was yeah human nature i mean that's that said obviously sometimes like come from away 
is a musical that's currently showing in Sydney. Have you seen this by any chance? I've interviewed the the creators and the writers of it, and I never managed to get around to seeing it oh, when okay. I was living in New York, right. and I was in Queensland for the opening night a couple of weeks ago, so I couldn't make it oh, to right. that either. Oh, okay. So all of that is a roundabout way of apologising to any anyone who might sure. be involved in Come From Away who's listening to this. I'm not, I haven't willfully not seen it. Sure. I want to. Well, anyway, long story short, about what happened after 9-11, uh, all the planes had to ground all the other planes that were in the air in case any of the others had been hijacked. And this, you know, this small town in Newfoundland took in thousands of people. And it was just this amazing story of humans coming together and looking out for each other. And so I guess what I'm saying is at least there's that. <laughs> so mm. there is, you know, there is hum- the human yes, coming together. The human but th- but together. then maybe there's not that much of it. Like I thought that the pandemic would bring us all together I thought as well. so too, Yes. Well, it um, didn't. I mean, if anything, it's exacerbated divisions, certainly yes. in the countries where it's been the most intense, like yes. the United States. Maybe we weren't in a good position to have a pandemic at that. <laughs> well, I mean, looping this back to social media where we started, I wonder whether this inability to raise our eyes off the the minutia of life and be appreciative and grateful for the big picture is hmm. contaminated by social media where, you know, like... I said in my Melbourne Comedy Festival show, like, it's amazing to me that when I was in my teens, you would make a plan to meet someone at the movies in the city, and if they were 10 minutes late, you just stood there. (laughs) (laughs) And it's amazing to me that that's amazing to me, because that, that... I wouldn't waited, have seemed that I know, odd. I waited for a friend, I think, close to an hour. I mean, and I, and, 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 and there's nothing you can do. Nothing. You can go to a pay phone, but yeah. who are you going to call? Exactly. They don't have a phone. Same thing. I, and then reverse, a friend of mine waited an hour for me because uh, I had something something happen to me on my way to meet up with them. Yes, extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. And not, but not just the inability to contact them. Your life was punctuated by the need to do nothing oh yes yes of course so you're standing there for seven even if it's seven minutes waiting for your friend outside the movie cinema oh yes those are seven minutes in which you are required to do nothing but look at the people going past and, gaze at the clouds think well, your own thoughts i think and i think i had to spend my the way my mind worked was i had to i had to, i was performing that entire time which was i am performing someone who is fine I'm fine. They'll be here any minute. Right, it's okay. sure. I'm not. I have. They haven't forgotten about me. <laughs> I'm not being jilted. <laughs> that's it. Everything. Please, please, mummy, don't leave me alone. Don't abandon me. <laughs> that's it. So yeah. that's. I'm doing a whole performance the whole time. So I was. I think that's where all my mental energy went. Is portraying a man who is comfortable with aging. <laughs> Are you still doing that performance, Mark? I, I think I'm performing all the time. I think that's. I think that's what's so. I think we're all. I'm fascinated by the performances that we do for each other every single day. Whether it's the as you're passing someone in, in you know, in a narrow corridor, and you do that weird half smile. Uh, to the, mm, you know, yeah, that's mm. it. That's a performance. Mm. You know, and that took energy, and you thought about it. And, but well, isn't a part of the appeal? One, one thing that we find appealing about charismatic people is that they don't seem to be performing. Sure. Yes. Right. Like the less mm-hmm. performance, the less artifice there seems to right, be, the right. more charming we think the person is. Yeah. There's no, nothing because sure. mm-hmm. a person who seems to be putting on the charm uh-huh. is sleazy. Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm just noting <laughs> you that. Me, you're giving me, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm giving you some advice, Mark. Yeah, exactly. I think you're coming Mark, on a little strong. Take the hint. <laughs> You're a sleaze bag, son. <laughs> no, I just, but I sometimes also wonder whether or not our creativity got fostered in those moments of nothingness. Yeah, and sure. then the moments of nothingness are now deprived of us by social mm. media because you have a supercomputer that you can pull out of your pocket and see what other people are saying about Peter Credlin yes. and her award. That's it, yeah. Instead of having to come up with. Yeah, a relationship to your own existence. Yeah, I think I'm generally an, an optimist, so I will kind of I'll tell myself, well, I'm I'm absorbing information and I'm I'm taking in stuff that may one day uh, lead to some sort of creative, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a lightning bolt moment. I'm not having it right You're now. You're on yourself, son. <laughs> this it. is the trick of the of social media. I, it like I, convinces I, you I, that I, what you're doing is worthy. Yeah, but I mean, podcasts is. I mean, this, this that's something that I actually feel I feel great about podcasts. I love that you know that that is there for me yeah. in those dull moments that I feel like I am injecting some sort of entertainment or information. Um, well, it's also a, a place where you have enough time that you can talk about things that like, especially on this show where we intentionally talk about, like you were just saying earlier, like what were you saying? Inseminating or something instead of just, <laughs> instead of just impregnating. Fucking, yeah, impregnating. impregnating. Uh, yes. But like the, the idea that you, because to be contrarian on Twitter is going to cause all kinds of mm. problems mm. because really, if you're saying anything interesting, then you can't do it justice in the space that Twitter has for it. Whereas when you're talking for an hour and a half to somebody, you can say the thing, you can articulate it, you can throw around some ideas, you can bat them about. It's still possible to be cancelled from it, but you can only be cancelled if people are willfully trying to misrepresent your good intentions. Yes, right? yes, Whereas yes. on Twitter, it's very easy to be misunderstood. Yes, totally. Uh, you, know, yeah. you just say, fuck Peter Credlin, yeah. which is not an appropriate thing to say, nor the, something I believe. It just, that just reminded me of something, something that I used to do on Twitter, which I now I don't do anymore because there's n I gain nothing from it. But sometimes there'll be a news story that'll go around that will just raise, there'll be a flag will go up where you just go, that sounds like bullshit to me. And, and I'll look into it further and I'll, and I'll find, and I'll realize that what, or I'll either realize or I'll come to a conclusion that this story is not really all that it seems. But if you, and if you, but if you then come in and say, Hey guys, I know we've all been having fun with this story, <laughs> but if you actually read a little bit further, you might see actually it's a completely innocent misunderstanding. And like, and so I've tried, to, I've done that in the past. Where I was going, Hey everyone, this is actually what actually happened here with blah, mm. blah, blah. No one wants to know. No, no of course one. not. <laughs> yeah, Let us play, nerd bucket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, I just dug into the data. Yeah, yeah, yeah actually, the, the person who uh, who appeared to have a, a passport uh, with the name <laughs> Fuck That Bitch, it would be P-H-U-C-D-A-T-B-I-C-H. It's actually a lie. They actually made it up. I mean, that was a specific example. Really? Like, yeah. I was just like, surely, do you remember mm. there was a story where there was like, oh, I think it was like a Vietnamese man. Uh, he, his passport, his name is Fuck That Bitch. P-H-U-C-D-A-T-B-I-C-H. Uh, and I was just like, I think we would have heard about this guy before now. I think surely <laughs> everyone, if, if there was That someone, was your thinking? <laughs> well, I was thinking in Australia, yeah. surely. Carl Stefanovic every, would have been all over it, every, surely. It would have been across the morning so shows. This person was now, I think, 25 or something. I think they'd, you know, they'd right. grown up in Australia. Surely it would have gone around every yeah. school that there was a kid, a kid named Fuck That called, Bitch. There was, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I, this does not add up. And then with as things 
came out. Eventually, it was revealed. Oh, yes, they, they made it up. And there's no prizes for being right. There's... No, there are no prizes for being right. Not on Twitter, of course not. Not on Twitter. No. Uh, so ultimately, what would you like to, to do beyond this current gig? Um sitcom well I, I, I would i would i would because it is it is still the dream i mean i, I i'd love to do you what know, were your sitcom fantasy hero <laughs> well, we, we, i mean weirdly <laughs> the golden girls was actually one of my main ones for, well that's know. true actually yeah when we were kids the go- i mean the most popular shows in australia mm. were probably the golden girls family ties um, roseanne cosby show um was the cosby show still on when I was maybe a kid. Yeah. yeah into the maybe. early into the early nineties yep. yeah um, you were watching it when you were three <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but yeah no yeah. that makes sense and uh, Murphy Brown uh, Murphy Brown yeah, yeah. Candice Bergen yeah and, and there was uh, there was another one that I was just thinking of not Ro- yeah Roseanne I said I mean I could list more there was there was Grace Under Fire there was Caroline in the City there was mm. uh, Veronica's Closet <laughs> yeah oh no I was I remember what I was thinking of this always amazes me when I tell Americans and in fact I told Fran Drescher when she was on her oh, first right. live that The Nanny was the number one show in Australia the number one Amazing. show of all shows in Australia at, at the time that it was on and she was like why <laughs> and I was like I don't know like what when you think about it what does this have to do with it? She's from Flushing <laughs> in Queens. That's so true. She's yeah. such a an archetypal well, character from is, that particular part of the world. This is why I always get a little. It's funny, like something that comes up in terms of uh, Australian funding bodies for like screen content. Something that's always pushed is this idea of Australian content, Australian stories, and then at the same time, there's questions about. Well, but can this play internationally? You know, right. so we want to make these sort of Australian stories, but in terms of like anything beyond that, just like well, because that's the other thing that I think probably they're thinking about more now is could this be something that plays on? Yeah, can Netflix we can we make our money back from yeah, yeah international sales? And I always thought I always go Alan Partridge. Alan Partridge is so specific, mm. and yet you know, and I've never been I've never been to Norwich, mm. but I I don't need to know who Sue Cook is for me to think to understand. Oh, she's clearly a media personality. Mm. That Alan has some sort of semi frustrated you know relationship with. Um, so yeah, that that's so yeah the, the idea that yes the nanny can be a big mm. hit here. Why not? And so why yeah like uh, that's why the success of Bluey is is thrilling because it's like yeah we can just make something that. Yeah, it's Australian voices, and you know, but it, yeah. people can relate to the general sort of family gist of it. There's a there was a great line by there's a wonderful writing coach slash stand up comedy coach, like kind of a god of uh, of New York stand up who runs classes in Manhattan called Steve Rosenfield, who founded the American Comedy Institute, who became a, something of a mentor of mine when I moved there because he was so good at honing my generalized funny ideas into jokes that would actually get laughs at. <laughs> clubs when I was doing stand-up when I first went there and he had the best piece of advice about writing which is the specific is universal Uh uh-huh yes yeah he was like don't try to make things appeal to everybody because then they become generic and they feel pat yes Uh, they seem like cliches everybody's Mm. done that before but like if you talk about something that's extremely specific to you then in its authenticity, yes. it'll resonate with everybody because they won't have exactly the same situation, but they'll have something close enough that smells because totally. it smells so real. Yes. Like Woody Allen mm. is like so specific mm. and yet he appeals to so many people yes. because he's sui generis. That's like he's it. exactly what he is. And Larry, like Larry David, like it yeah. feels like it's extreme. Even Seinfeld, the whole show, I yeah. mean, you could make the same argument mm. about the nanny, right? Like Seinfeld is a very particular milieu. Mm. and 
I remember Brian Drescher appearing on Conan years ago, and she told this anecdote, and I thought it was such, I thought it was such an interesting snapshot of fame at that level, where she was talking about how I think she'd, she'd, she'd met a guy, she got on with him, and then I think went back to his place or what have you, and then I think, you know, they... <laughs> he didn't impregnate her, but they they, they, had, they 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 had sex, and then I that think that man yeah. was Barnaby. <laughs> and then he rolled over and he said, "Man, can't believe I just fucked the nanny." And just like, <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine hearing that? Just like, but that's what yeah. how you exist in someone's brain. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's that? weird, isn't it? Fame would be would be weird. Do yeah. you do you experience it? I know, on sort of a, a mild, a low, very low level. I mean, I, the, like, usually just mistaken for someone else. So, uh, <laughs> but like, I mean, I do, yeah, I remember like some, <laughs> I remember just, I was just uh, at a cafe and someone came up to me and said, sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, are you, are you Bondi vet? <laughs> and, and I went, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not Bondi vet. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. Um, have a good day. And she's walking off and I'm like, well, but I am <laughs> semi-famous in my own right. <laughs> Come back. I'm the other tall blonde on television. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and then so yeah, occasionally I'll get stopped. And I had one thing recently where my I, I had my two boys with me, and it was a bad day. It just it was a really bad, bad day where something had gone wrong at a play center. They one of them was crying, and it was all everything was just very very difficult. And then the youngest one, uh, he the two year old, he wet his pants and so okay i gotta go find a parents room sort that out and then we go and get some dinner it was just me with the two boys and and then the youngest wet his pants again like in the middle of food court and like actually pissed on the floor have and, you heard of nappies and, uh, no because he, he actually has been tra- trained so he was he's beyond that phase okay. and then just decided to give us a recap uh-huh. and um, so anyway, so then I'm wiping up, you know, grabbing all the napkins from the, you know, dinner and wiping up the piss and I'm carrying these piss soaked <laughs> napkins to the bin and some guy comes up to me and goes, uh, Mr. Humphreys, a big fan. <laughs> and I was like, my youngest has just pissed his pants twice in the last half hour. Thank you. I needed this. <laughs> Thank you very much. You've made my day a little better. Uh, yeah, that's funny. I mean, that's part of being on telly as well. I mean, the radio is good. Radio is blessed because pe- uh, people yes. who know you know you, but they can't tell that you're you just by right. you walking past down the street. Sure. Uh, although, although one funny thing is the, <laughs> there were a few occasions where I would just be talking in public and. This has only happened really after being on Joe Rogan's podcast, oh, right, which okay. I was on six times mm-hmm. and has, you know, a hundred million listeners or something. Sure. And so once I was with my parents, uh, they had come over to Europe for a holiday and I'd come over from New York to visit them. This wasn't long ago. And we went to Auschwitz. Oh gosh! Okay. It's <laughs> it's a holiday. Dad, dad's mum was a Holocaust survivor, oh, right. and I mean, she wasn't in the death camps, but all gosh. her family were. She she managed to come to Australia and uh, and escape during the war. But uh, yeah, so we're at Auschwitz, and we just exit, and uh, I hear, "Excuse me, excuse me, Josh, are you Josh Seps? Man, I heard you on Jaw. I can just tell by your accent." And I was like, "Wow, I've just been through the most traumatized. Yeah, like I've just oh, been that's... looking at piles of shoes." Oh my gosh. 
sucked out of that reality. Yeah, but it was nice. It was nice. Yeah. Oh, no, that's flattering. I mean, it was that's, very kind. People the, being generous. Now that's the interesting thing because inevitably we have come across people in day-to-day life who, who hate us. You know, mm. people have heard our, heard us, seen us, do yeah. not like it. But thank heavens, in reality, they don't, they say, don't anything. say anything. Unless they're on Twitter. Uh, but if they're on Twitter, they make themselves well and truly known. That's it. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. So sitcoms, so the nanny uh, and yeah, things like that. The, yeah. But so but, you, you didn't, you weren't, a, you weren't drawn to like satirical, I guess, were there satirical things? No, I wasn't. I mean, uh, I don't think I was. No, I mean, I, yeah, I, I certainly saw Clark and watched Clark and Door, you know, when I was a kid, but I, I never thought I would end up, you know, down that path. Um, no, I just liked the idea of, um, you know, I mean, I guess there was like South Park, which, be- yes. which was satire. Yeah. Yes. And I really? think, yeah. Something you know, that, scripted satire. And something that at that age I probably wasn't as conscious of as being satirical. But now, I mean, I haven't, I haven't watched South Park in a couple of years, but any t- basically any time I watch South Park now, I always go, God, that is the most base sort of childish approach to making that really sharp point well played. Like, yeah, I, absolutely. It's, I, I'm always impressed. I'm always going to... I mean, that. their movie, have you seen the movie? The oh, South Park Bigger, movie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, you know, it was originally written as South Park or Hell Breaks Loose. And the studio said, you can't say hell. That's <laughs> going to offend people. So they brought it back as bigger, longer, and uncut. And the studio didn't get the gag. Amazing. I yeah. always love those stories about how people get around these uh, restrictions. Yeah. I haven't seen it in years. but I um, mean, it's worth re- it's worth a rewatch. Not that I've seen it in about five years. But when I did watch it a second time, like it is so beautifully meta. Because the plot, if you'll recall, is about... Uh, satirists who make a cartoon that's so offensive that the US goes to war with Canada to mm. avenge the offence caused by the cartoon movie, which of course is a proxy for this movie in itself <laughs> and a predictor of the inevitable outrage which it will cause. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's fantastic. And so, you know, I'm always impressed by that. But, you know, it, it, it was not something that appealed to me. But, um, yeah, but look, ideally, you know, the logical thing would be to, I'd love to make, you know, Australia's version of the thick of it or, or veep, but we have had, you know, we've had the hollow man and uh, there's utopia, which sort of is kind of a version. It's, it's sort of in that space. So I just, I don't know if the time is right for the sort of show that I would. Well, you just have to do it make. right. I mean, veep to, like takes the conceit and then elevates it to that whole new kind of, I don't know, Upright Citizens Brigade inspired level mm. of uh, sort of 30 Rock, Tina Fey, rapid fire, absurdist mm. uh, humor. I'd love to see, I'd love to see some of that here. Um, do you worry about getting canceled? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, because I, I think it, it's a funny thing because I, I know in my heart of hearts what I'm trying to say with a sketch and what my intention is. And, but I am absolutely conscious of, the ability to get a, to get it wrong, to actually be, have blind spots, to get it wrong, uh, be people's own interpretations of things that maybe you intended something one way, but it comes across another way, and then see people who deliberately, willfully mm. misrepresent and are waiting for you to screw up, and because they they would love to take you down. But I, I mean, I'll give you I'll give you a con- concrete example um, a few weeks ago of one where we uh, just a, a short little thing that we agonised over. And I'll, well, I'll, yeah, so what it was was um, there was a, a, a campaign uh, that the government had paid for, which was to teach young people about consent 
and the way <laughs> that it was done was with this the milkshake the ad. milkshake ad yes so why don't i play a bit of the milkshake ad? put in a bit of the milkshake ad to cross into the action zone both people must agree do you want to try my milkshake yes i do <laughs> is it better than yours you know i think i prefer mine but what happens when one person takes action without an agreement? You do, huh? Well, drink it. Drink it all. What are you doing? Drink it all. This is what we call moving the line. Okay. So that was the milkshake ad. Yeah, so it was, it was a little an, bit confusing. Very confusing. We seems to be inspired by a British comedy called Look Around You from about 20 years ago that Peter Serafinovich had co-created which is well worth looking up for some reason that seemed to be a reference point for them in this and then there's the whole milkshake subplot whatever anyway so i i've occasionally on 730 done a character who is like a sort of a film director who works with the government he's a character named tony chevelle and he uh you know whenever you know sometimes it might have been that he was scott morrison's social media video uh producer and in this case he was the man who directed these milkshake campaigns. And we had this one section which was uh, that, uh, well, you think this idea was bad? You should have seen some of the other other ideas that had been floated. <laughs> and so so now, so, so firstly, so the conceit is already that, that what you're about to see is a worse yes. idea. Now, that's inherently a problematic potentially already because you're now actually going to make something that might be offensive or bad, but you're knowingly doing it and mm. you're knowingly satirizing the, the pretend thing that you've <laughs> created. So what the idea was that there was a, a character. Um, so back in the, sorry, this is context for American audiences. In the 1980s, there was a uh, comedy character on a show called the comedy company company called uh, con the fruiterer. He was a Greek uh, fruiterer, you know, grocery worked in the grocery um and had a series of catchphrases and he was a, he was an icon an iconic character and so our idea was that there was going to the part of the, the part of the consent campaign was that a character they'd created called consent the fruiterer so we have this idea of consent the fruiterer we're going to do this sort of homage parody of con the fruiterer wrapped in this you know <laughs> consent idea and then the question became right who can play consent the fruiterer because part of the problem with Con the Fruiterer was that it was a white man named Mark Mitchell uh, playing a Greek character. Now, there are two trains of thoughts on this. There are those who say that he was embraced by the Greek community and was a beloved character. And yes, it was a white man, but we loved him anyway. And he was good for the community. And he was a positive you know, character. And then there are those who say it should never have been a white man playing that character. It's offensive to play, you know, the, the, you know, you know what the arguments are. Mm. So those, so there's these two trains of thought. Okay. So keeping that in mind, can we now add another layer? Can consent the fruiterer, <laughs> if I'm parodying <laughs> this white man who played a Greek man, can I play a, a man can playing? I, can I can I as a white man play a, a white man a Greek playing a Greek character? Um, so we weren't sure about that. Uh, and there is a comedian that Evan and I love, I think a Greek Australian named Alexei Toliopoulos, and we reached out to him and said, oh, "Is there any chance you'd be interested in doing this?" He was not able to do it, but. Dan Illich was able to do it. Now, Dan is not the right 
so you know so he's he's <laughs> not the right but sort not of the ethnic. right ethnicity yeah. even though his grandfather was an italian grocer so there's all this stuff that we're now agonizing over is, yeah. is can dan Illich with his italian grocer grandfather i mean he looks like he could have been a greek greek <laughs> right, grocer sure, sure. dan you know, he, he matches the 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 image we got ourselves ourselves tangled up in knots about this ultimately we did it with dan dan was great and the response was fantastic and so it was fine but the reality is is that to get to that point of being fine we spent a good hour or two discussing mm. can we can we do this and i guess the question then for the broader culture becomes in moments like that was something gained by agonizing about it or yeah, by, by agonizing it and ending up casting dan instead of you're doing it well i think something was gained in the sense that i think dan's terrific so i'm very happy to obviously to have dan no but you but, didn't cast him because he's terrific oh well well it's i think it's a combination of you wanted someone who could nail it and also ideally could match that character so that you would be able to put out that potential fire so that's right but the, yeah. what i mean is is the existence of those fires doing something good because i'm perfectly happy for there to be fires when they're in the service of justice. Yeah. Uh, yes. So I guess my, I like guess, w- w- was Dan, like is Dan more deserving of, is the point that, that the Dan's of the world, I think the point is that people of color have been so for so long overlooked. Yes. And there, there have been these lazy casting decisions where you would just get a white heartthrob in Hollywood to play an Asian and you would like mm. take down their eyes yes, and they'd yes. go, Oh, me Chinese. And yes, you'd think that, sure. that was okay. Uh-huh. Um, so you want to rectify that and make sure mm-hmm. that doesn't happen again and make sure that, that if there are brilliant Asian actors, they actually get a look in for those mm. parts. Is Dan one of those? Not really. Like I love Dan. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he did a great job. Uh, he's not a, he's not a member of, he's not even a member of the community who is being, who you're, who you're satirizing here. He's not a member of the, of the Greek community. He just sort of looks a bit like it. So then the question mark becomes like, what, what's the point of this whole dance? Well, I mean, I, I think the broad answer I would give is that it's certainly, I think it's good to be aware of these things. It's, it's, and, and to be, I think it's important to be consciously trying to make sure that you're not repeating the mistakes of the past and just kind of perpetuating, you know, problems that have already existed. I think from, a selfish standpoint no it was not useful to to me because it was it wasted writing time and think you know things time that could have been spent on making the sketch better was spent agonizing over uh, a backlash that you know didn't happen yeah from from a selfish standpoint no it was not useful at all um from a broader conversational standpoint maybe it's good that we were I thinking mean, maybe it's good that we were thinking about maybe that. there's i'm just thinking to myself thinking out loud now maybe there's a secondary objective in addition to making sure that people of color aren't excluded from parts which is that you want the you want everything that's that's coming out to sort of look more and more like the country mm. you know it's a bit like you're saying about film australia you want to tell uniquely australian stories so part of the australian story is the migrant story from greece then you want someone who at least looks passably greek to be Mm -hmm. in that otherwise everything looks like Mm. it's a caricature yes uh which i suppose makes sense Mm. but we are getting to a point at which as you say i think there are a lot of there's a lot of man hours and woman hours being put into preemptively avoiding those fires yeah and i think and it comes also part of it as well is just i guess i would i would argue for a general kind of good faith (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> based discourse which is extremely naive but just like I, I i sort of hope that people would kind of i'd like to see a little bit more benefit of the doubt in, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, have you seen that, that Lin Manuel Miranda has just put out an apology right. for In the Heights? Right. Uh, so, yes. like, uh-huh. Lin Manuel Miranda, who wrote Hamilton before he wrote Hamilton, had mm. this other hit, brilliant musical called In the Heights, uh, which has just come out in the movie theaters. Mm. Uh, and he has had to apologize to do one of these sort of groveling apologies mm-hmm. about how I'm going to listen and learn. And now is, you know, my time to learn from my mistakes because. He, as a Latino guy who has written nothing but Latino and uh, and black stories of American mm-hmm. culture and mm-hmm. history, apparently didn't cast enough black Latinos in in the Heights. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, so they weren't dark skinned enough. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. there was a lack of representation uh, because they were more slightly pale skinned kind of Cubano uh-huh. Latinos in the cast. So like. Yeah, I mean, Frank, I think if if Lin Manuel Miranda isn't good enough for you, she, the man who <laughs> turned the founding fathers black and has just released a brilliant blockbuster about yeah. you know centering Latino voices. Yes, it's funny as like I don't. He, he has to apologize. Yeah, I, this uh, this is sort of related. I don't know if it because uh, I'm not quite sure how the the criticism started coming up. But one one thing I'm very interested in is this, uh, there have been times where, there, there's, I can think of three times where I've seen someone say something on Twitter where I can very quickly realize they don't actually understand what they've said and that what they've just put out there is going to be offensive to some people. And on those occasions, I've gone and I've, fortunately, there were people who were following me and, and I've gone and DM'd those people. Oh, that's generous. And just gone... Just so you know, I know I'm sure, I know I know that you probably didn't mean this, but that image that you've just posted or that joke you just made or what have you actually there's actually this backstory to it, and it's been so interesting. Every single time that those people have come back and said, "Oh my god, thank you so much for mm. making me aware of this." I've deleted it now. Obviously, within the memory, we can't de- delete a film, um, but this I, I'm very I can't remember the name of the lady who who has coined the term um, "calling in" as opposed to "calling out." Oh, that's good. Um, I'm a big fan of if you see something where you where you suspect that the person probably had the best intention, but maybe not the best execution. Mm. If there's any way if that they're standing in front of the bus, just push them <laughs> out of the way before the bus. If hits there's them. any way that you can help them out, rather because it, I think it's such an interesting choice when someone decides to hit that quote tweet button and just goes, "Oh, I could go and try and help this person who I can clearly see has just accidentally stepped on a landmine." Um, instead, I've decided to do my little performance. Hey, mm. everybody! Yeah, you know. And also, the, this is the thing I don't understand: if we agree that the thing is offensive, why is it so important, and that people should not see the offensive thing? Mm. Why, why do you want to broadcasting it? Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I, I kind of. Yeah. But that's not the point. We all know no, that's not the point. Exactly. The point is, the point is that's, to grandstand exactly. and to create to have a yeah. witch hunt. Yes, and to uh, to to throw the sure. throw the virgin into the rim of the volcano to yeah. to appease the, um, the gods. That's it. So anyway, that's 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 my sort of Twitter one hundred and one. If you occasionally if you see someone who, who and you you get the sense from their track record that they're probably a decent person <laughs> yeah. who've just just walked. You know, I mean, and some walked through the wrong door. Yeah, and sometimes <laughs> they're a person who just doesn't who hasn't thought about it, but they yes. because you know Twitter is also fast. Yes. Stuff just pours out of your fingers pretty quickly. Yeah. And you, like the did you see the case of the British broadcaster who's one of these old, very funny like Frankie so and so who's been around forever <laughs> and he still had a radio show on I think LBC in the UK. Uh, and when uh, Harry and Meghan had their 
first child uh-huh. he he's he has a long history of doing these funny jokes of like um you know in the 1950s like chimps dressed up in uh in royal outfits oh, and things like that oh, I know, and he posted I know an old yes. an old black and white photo of a oh, couple of right. of a couple of chimps uh one in a one in a tuxedo and the yes. other one in a bridal gown or something and a little chimp right. baby or something yes um and it was like he had like breaking you know first images uh, of royal family exiting <laughs> exiting uh, hospital and it didn't occur to him that uh, yeah. Megan is a woman of color no, and there are these historical sure. things. For him, it's just it's funny because it's a chimp in a costume. That's yeah. And he lost his show, of course. Yeah, he lost yes. his show, and you know it wasn't. An, and he deleted. He even deleted it the moment someone raised that. The mm. moment someone said, you know, there's that whole thing, that whole history here, and he was like, oh shit. And yeah. you know, there's a history of him tweeting monkeys in in preposterous outfits throughout his career where it has nothing to do with people of color um but yeah he did it too fast yes and sure yeah totally and and it's funny because sometimes there'll be a thing where people you'll see like oh oh i noticed blah 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 deleted this oh why did you delete this it's just like if they've deleted it, just they, they've clearly realized they've screwed up. Just yeah. Also, because they knew you were going to come for them. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. You can't on the one hand say why That's did you it. delete it, and also why don't you yeah. delete it, you monster. So if you, I think if you're someone who has a track record, you know, if you're someone who is just clearly, you know, if you, <laughs> you're not, if you're someone who's just, you know, uh, I don't want to start naming names, but just if you're someone who's clearly a troll or what have you, and is and is and is always, you know, putting out horrible stuff, yeah, like go after that person. But if it's someone who just clearly is just yeah like i say just gone through the wrong door if you can try and for their own for their own mental health because that's the thing like i'm a big believer people should read john ronson's um so you've been publicly shamed just like the damage that can be done by these pylons of on people who yes they fucked up but like if we can find ways to, to not make a global thing out of them um because yeah. it's just it's I mean, no, the fact there's that, no winner there's no winner the fact that i even know the name justine sacco yes is right, horrendous sure. yes, and exactly if you don't know her yes probably yes, good t- that you don't that's it but read john ronson's book because it's absolutely fabulous. i think before you get your twitter account Account, they just go, can you just, just have a look at this? If you can yeah. just read this, or you can do the audio book and hear him say, This book was written by me, John Ronson. Um, and then uh then you can then then you can have a Twitter account and away we go. He's there. a public treasure, as are you, oh, Mark Humphreys. You. Your book oh, is yes. going to be cool. that's cool. what on politics and stuff. Uh and it is uh available f- everywhere and uh, <laughs> available everywhere very soon That's just it. in time for what may or may not be a federal election in australia we don't know oh, when it's coming it's it's a short read so it's, okay. if, you, if you like you know, if you're not a big fan of reading <laughs> yeah. if you hate the book then you'll love its It'll be brevity exactly it'll be yeah. over in hours yeah so evan evan williams and i have written we've packed it with jokes about australian politics and uh, we hope you enjoy it and can people catch your uh 730 sketches on the web somewhere absolutely so you can follow me at, on twitter at, at mark humphreys otherwise i'm on instagram at humphreys mark couldn't get mark humphreys <laughs> Damn it. And on Facebook at Mark Humphreys Comedy. Again, couldn't get Mark Humphreys. It's better than having done like <laughs> underscore Mark dash yeah, Humphreys 11, plus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Uh, well, wonderful to talk to you. I'll see you in Cancel Culture Jail where we will both inevitably end up. That's it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Josh.